0: This morning's reading is taken from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 through to chapter 6 verse 2. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It's really, really good to be back with you. I have been here a couple of times before, and um, it's great to be back at the church. Um, I won't say a great deal about myself. You can Google it, and some of it might be true. Um, But I did come to faith here in London as a student my first year at university when a friend in my hall of residence just knocked on my door, introduced himself, and invited me to come along with him to church so my advice to you, if you're new to the city or if you're meeting people who are new to the city, is just be bold. Invite them. Bring them along. I had not a clue what the gospel was. I didn't know Jesus, but he just took me to a place where I could hear about Jesus for myself. And within a few months, I came to faith. So this is my spiritual birthplace, London. And I'm glad to be, uh, have an opportunity to bring God's word to, to this great city. Um, and it is a great city. And it's a great time to be in London. Let me tell you five reasons why it's a great time to be in the city of London today. And some of these might surprise you because the media won't tell you these things. And uh, actually, not a lot of people I meet, even within the church, are aware of just how God is at work in our city in remarkable ways. Let me tell you that London is the only city in the whole of Europe, where the church is growing faster than the rate of populi- uh, than, the, than the population as a whole, so God is at work growing the church in London, so it's growing faster than the population. A guy called David Goodhue has edited a book called *The Desecularization of the City*, and it's a study of the church in London. And his argument is: London is the first city in the world that was secularized. In other words, it saw that the percentage of people calling themselves Christians, worshiping in Christian communities and churches. It saw those numbers fall and fall and fall and fall until something and somewhere around 1980 where it bottomed out. And then since that time through to the present day, the church has been growing. And the way in which the church has been growing is that God has been moving people around the world and God has chosen in his wisdom to bring many Christians to our city of London. Something like four in 10 Londoners say, I'm, I wasn't born in this country, let alone this city. Four in 10. Half of them would say, and I'm a Christian. So on average, one in five people that you meet in London, one in five will say, I wasn't born here, but I'm a Christian. And God has brought them here. And something like 8.5, 8.7% of Londoners attend a church once a month. God is growing the church. The first city in the whole world to be de-secularized. So the church in London is growing. Secondly, the church in London is young. I mean, look around you. A lot of young people here, one in three... Christians in their 20s in England, one in three, worship at a church in London. So God is growing the church in London, and a lot of that growth is young life. People not like me, sadly, but people like many of you here in the room. So the church in London is growing, 8.7%, the first desecularized city in the whole world. 8.7%, the church is growing. The church in London is young. The church in London is evangelical. So something like 61% of people who say they're Christian mean I'm an evangelical, I'm born again, to use that old-fashioned term, or I'm a gospel Christian. 61%. The church in London is growing. The church in London is young. The church in London is evangelical. The church in London is incredibly diverse. One in eight church services here in the city will be in a service in a language other than English. God has brought the nations here and the nations are are starting new churches and congregations and people are worshipping in a whole host of languages. Apparently 50 different languages uh, you can find church services in for London. The church in London is growing. The church in London is young. The church in London is evangelical. The church in London is diverse. The church in London is planting. One in seven churches in London has planted a new church in the last 15 years, one in seven. So God is doing amazing things in this city uh, and the media won't tell you. But you know, one of the reasons that our confidence in the gospel is ours is not necessarily because of the time in which we live, but because of what God says he is doing in and through the good news of Jesus Christ in lives right around the world. So we read there in those verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, today is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. And that means today around the cities of the world and here in the city of London, many people will hear of Jesus and God has a plan to ensure that heaven will be filled with a multitude that know person can number, all through Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection and ascension. And it is our privilege if we're here today as Christians to join in what God is doing in this city and to join in what God is doing through mission around the world. So how is your gospel confidence? Do you believe that God could use you to start a conversation with someone in your work, a neighbor, a friend, a relative? Do you you think it's possible that in these next 12 months you could personally help someone on that journey to faith in Jesus? Do, Do you come to church with that sense, well, if God is at work in this city, why couldn't he be at work through me? Why couldn't it be my neighbor, my colleague, my friend? Why not? Today's the day of salvation. God is doing incredible things. Why not through me? Do you have that confidence? Let's pray that God would give us that as we come to his word today. Father in heaven, thank you that you gave us new life in Jesus Christ. Maybe through a parent. Maybe at school. Maybe through a friend. But somehow that message of Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death for sins, and resurrection, life and ascension. That came to us by your Spirit to bring us to new life. And we say, please take and use us. Give us that same confidence that you want to use us and can use us in the power of your Spirit to your praise and glory. Amen. Let me start with a a true story. I planted a church in Birmingham just over 20 years ago, and one of the very first people who actually did become a Christian was a student by the name of Gil. And he was doing law at the University of Birmingham. He found his way to our church. He came from a pretty difficult background. So his father was an alcoholic. His brother has a drug addiction. It was a pretty broken home that he came from. But he'd done okay, and he'd made his way to university and found some friends. One or two were Christians. And and the remarkable story was of him coming to faith in Jesus quite early on, and then his girlfriend became a Christian as well. And God made him an incredible evangelist. And he was just, God set him apart for that work. And he went on to work for something called Birmingham City Mission. And twice a week, Tuesday afternoon, Saturday mornings, he'd go into the city center of Birmingham and speak to people about Jesus. And he did it month after month, year after year. And I sat down with him at one point and said, let's try and work out how many hours you've stood there on the streets of Birmingham speaking to people about Jesus. And we worked it all out. And we came to a figure of about 3,000 hours. And he was interviewed at church, and I said to, I said to Gil, he was Giles by that point, um, Giles, I said, um, what's kept you going down these years? What, why have you gone out onto those streets of Birmingham for 3,000 hours? And he said, Neil, the reason I do it, and I love his choice of words now, he said, the reason I do it is because I know it is inevitable that people will respond. And I just love that. His, he chose that word, inevitable that people will respond. Now, he didn't know who, he didn't know when, he didn't know on what day or where exactly or because of what he was saying, but he knew that it was inevitable that people would come from death to life. And I just love that gospel confidence. And it stayed with me down the years. He knew that some people were gonna walk past with their headphones on. He knew that some were gonna stop and heckle. He knew that some would just laugh and shrug their shoulders, But he also knew that some people, God was already at work in. And they knew there was more to life and they were seeking an answer and they heard him talking to them about Jesus and they were drawn to the person of Jesus by the Spirit's power through the words of Giles. It's inevitable that people will respond. It's not an aspiration, that's a promise of the gospel. That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and he sends us out in that same Spirit's power to do the same. God is still at work through the church today. So I know that it's not always easy to believe that people that we know uh, might come to know Jesus. But I remember my friend Charles taking 20 years from when I first started talking to him about Jesus to him sending me an email. By that point, he'd moved away, he'd gone to America and he said, Neil, I've been listening to some of your sermons. And that was the first thing that really, what, really? He said, yeah, I've been listening to some of the sermons. and I just want to tell you that God has begun a new work in my life. And everything that you said 20 years ago to me when we were students together, well, I've come back to it and I'm thinking about it again. And God has begun a great work in his life. And I'll see him next weekend, actually. He lives in Chicago. I'm gonna see him a week today. I'll be with him at a church in Chicago. 20 years after he first started to think about Christian things. And yet God's timing was perfect. You know, we've got gospel confidence that God is at work in the life of the church. We, we tell our stories about what God is doing in our core groups and congregations. We, we believe that God is working to enable generous giving amongst his people. We believe that God is working to raise up new leaders. We believe maybe we might plant a church again one day. But do we believe that God is at work in those who've yet to hear and respond to Jesus? We don't know who, we don't know how many, We don't know when or in what number, but Australian evangelist David Cook suggests there is a confidence that comes from knowing that God is the divine evangelist. And we just get to join in with what he is doing in and through the church in the world and the apostle Paul knows it's God's work from beginning to end in those verses that we had read just a moment or two ago. We're not going to study them in depth, but do you remember? Maybe you've got that passage still on your phone or in a Bible in front of you. Chapter 2 of Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's description of himself in chapter 6 and verse 1 is as God's co-worker. I love that. That's the description of the Christian. God's co worker. You get to join in with what he's doing. So we're not doing the work of God. We're not doing the work even for God, but we're joining with what he's doing in and through the gospel around the world. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, as God's co workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, there is quite a lot going on in this letter between Paul and the Corinthians. It's been a bit of a difficult relationship. We're not gonna go into all of that right now, all that's going on between Paul and the Corinthian church. We've dropped in halfway through the letter here, chapter 6 and verse 1. But I just want to draw out a principle for us, and it's this. Here's the principle. Today is a great day to be a co-worker of God because now, chapter 6 and verse 2, is the day of salvation. So two brief reflections then on that verse, chapter 6 and verse 2, now is the day of salvation. Two brief reflections. Number one, thank the Lord that it's today and not yesterday. Now, I don't know whether you've ever played that game. Uh, If you could live at any point in human history, when would you have wanted to be alive? Have you ever played that kind of thing? Well, for me, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to go back in time before either general anaesthetic or antibiotics, okay? So I reckon that means for me, if I'm playing that game, I don't want to go back any earlier than about 80 years ago. Through the, I'm quite glad to live in a time of global travel, to think, wow, I could literally kind of get on a plane, now we're through the other side of COVID, I can get on a plane and go practically anywhere in the world. It's just about affordable. So I reckon that limits me to somewhere in the last 50 years. And I quite like living at a time where everyone speaks the same language, and through computers I can speak to anyone, anywhere in the world, anytime. I think that puts us somewhere in the last five to ten years. Which means, I think, all in all, there's quite a good case for saying, now's a great time to be alive. But what really excites the Apostle Paul, chapter 6 and verse 2, is not that we're living in the year 2022, but we're living this side of the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. In other words, we get to live in new covenant times and share in new covenant ministry. If you have got a Bible, just turn back to chapter 3, and Paul starts to talk there about what it was like to be speaking for God at a time before Jesus came. In other words, under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And he contrasts the ministry of Moses, who was described as God's friend, and one of the greats of the Old Testament and of the Old Covenant. He talks about the ministry of Moses compared to the ministry that Paul has and the ministry that we have. And he says in chapter 3, do you know what? Moses' ministry, when he came down from Mount Sinai with the law and proclaimed the law, Moses' ministry, chapter 3, verse 7, was a ministry that brought death. Because people saw God's standards set out before them in, in the Old Covenant, in the Ten Commandments, and thought, how can we possibly fulfill that? and our ministry new covenant ministry is the ministry about how Jesus has done it all for us through his perfect life he's kept those commandments for us and through his perfect death he's paid the penalty for the fact that we have not lived up to god's standards so Paul can say Moses' ministry brought condemnation verse 8 I mean, imagine that. Imagine if I sent you out from here this morning and said, here's your job today to bring a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation and good luck to you in all of that. But we get to live this side of Jesus' death and resurrection. And Paul says our ministry, our co-worker ministry with God is a ministry that chapter three, verse seven, brings life and also brings righteousness as a free gift of god maybe you remember the story in luke's gospel about the thief on the cross who was being crucified alongside jesus and all he had to say was would you remember me when you come into your kingdom what could that man do to merit salvation or eternal life when you when you got nails through your hands and your feet You have hours to live. You've lived an appalling, wretched life. The word criminal probably more typically means terrorist there. He's a terrorist condemned for treason, breathing his final breaths. He can still say to Jesus on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and what does Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. I mean, that's outrageous, isn't it? this man has done nothing but live a bad life and yet almost in his dying breath jesus says to him you're going to be with me in heaven forever because you've understood who i am and that salvation comes through me that's a ministry that brings life and in this you could find yourself in a coffee queue today with someone And in the space of five minutes, they could cross from death to life, from hell to heaven, in a moment. Not because of anything they've ever said or thought or done, but simply because they've asked the God of all mercy to have mercy on them. That could happen today in a phone call to one of your family members. I don't know. And you know what Paul says? Because we live this side of the, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, we can be very bold. You can be very bold. Like the woman that first spoke to me in the student union bar before I was ever a believer in Jesus And she'd asked me what sort of clubs and societies I'd joined. It was that time of year. just started out at uni. You sign up for all these kind of things. So I said, I've joined the Karate Club. That lasted about two months. Um, And then I said, I've joined the Young Entrepreneurs because I was doing a business degree and that mailing list, one meeting. And I said, and I've also, I've just put my name down on the chaplaincy mailing list. I wasn't a Christian, but they just had this thing and you could sign, so I signed. And she just said to me, oh, it's so a Friday night in a student union bar, music pumping out in the back. She said to me, or shouted over the music, she said, oh, is Jesus Lord of your life? She was very bold, chapter 3, verse 12. Is Jesus Lord of your life? I didn't even understand the question, let alone have an answer for her. I just kind of had a little bit of religion, maybe, a belief in God. Is Jesus Lord? I didn't know what to say. But that's where it started with me. And she was just bold. And what she said to me, a number of you, we're still friends today. And what she said to me, she said, I don't know why I said that to you. She said, I can't remember ever having said that to anyone before or anyone afterwards as if the words just came out. Because she was God's co-worker, God was already at work, wasn't he? He brought us together into that conversation. He knew what he wanted to say. He knew as he was preparing my heart how shocked to the core I was going to be by such an outrageous, crazy question that would be the start of my journey to faith. It didn't matter. God God was at work. She was just a co-worker. She said, I never said that. She said, you know, I never said it before or since. And I don't know why I said it then, but God did. And so living this today is the day of salvation. It could happen to anyone today. It will happen. It will happen today around the world to many people. So we're very bold chapter 3 verse 12 chapter 4 verse 1 so we don't lose heart you know it's easy to lose heart if you think there's no way anyone would ever believe the message of Jesus not not amongst my friends and work colleagues and Nate. no it couldn't happen but it can it happened to a man called Paul who was an enemy of Jesus Christ It happened to a friend in our friend called Sean who when he saw this same woman walking away, we'd we'd had a cup of coffee in in our flat and Sean was one of my flatmates and she walked away from the flat and he looked out of the window and he just said to me, you know, she's got something that I haven't got. And I thought, you've been watching, haven't you? You've been just quietly looking at the life of Christians and thinking, she's got something I haven't got. And he'd been thinking that for months, but hadn't told anyone. And then a few weeks later, he became a Christian too. Chapter 5, verse 16, where our passage started this morning. All this is from God, who not only has reconciled us to himself. Praise the Lord. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are now God's friend through that perfect death of Jesus Christ. More than that, you're adopted as a son of the living God. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself. Verse 16, has now given us this ministry of reconciliation. It's for others too, isn't it? So as we look back over human history, it's a miracle and a wonderful thing that we get to live this side of Jesus' death and resurrection. So thank God we get to live today and to the ministry of the new covenant, so that we can be very bold and not lose heart and bring a ministry of life and righteousness to those that we speak to about Jesus. We live today and not yesterday, the time of the old covenant. Around the world, people are finding faith in Christ in their millions. I have a friend who works with the church in China. In fact, he's experienced some hard times. His father was imprisoned, spent five years in prison. His best friend now is doing a nine-year prison sentence in China, and is about one really way through. But he says God's doing amazing things in China, and no one really knows the size of the church. Even The Economist magazine estimated that the number of Christians in China was somewhere between 70 7 and 120 million. So in The Economist, that's more than the Chinese Communist Party. That's bigger than the Chinese Communist Party. And one of the reasons the church has grown is partly because God likes to confound the wisdom of this world. But one of the reasons is because once you get to 25 people in China, you're not allowed to meet in a single group. So it's the best church planting strategy ever invented by man or woman, and it was invented by the Communist Party of China. Imagine that. When you get to 25, you've got to plant again, and plant again, and plant again. But God is doing something phenomenal, something extraordinary, 70 million, maybe more. I met a guy recently. He's been working in north of India. And for the first 10 years that he was ministering in north of India, he said, I saw three people come to faith in Jesus in 10 years. Three. You know, he could have lost heart, couldn't he? He could have stopped being very bold. Three in 10 years, it's not a lot to write home about if you're, if you're being supported by a church somewhere around the world and they say, how's it going? Three in 10 years, you know, it's not great. But over the next 25 years, he's seen that number increase from three to now he says 25,000. 58 churches have been planted. Out of that ministry, three in 10 years, 58 churches, 25,000 people. In fact, Operation World estimates that the number of Christians across, China, across India has grown in 10 years from 2.5% to just under 6%. 25 to 6% in 10 years. God is at work in phenomenal ways. Often in those parts of the world where it's hardest to hear and believe and respond but also in London, the first desecularized city in the history of the world. So thank God that you and I can be very bold and that God is at work because it's today, the day of salvation, and not yesterday, the day of the old covenant. More briefly, I've got to catch a plane to Hamburg, so I'm not going to be here that much longer. Thank God it's today and not tomorrow. Thank God it's today and not tomorrow. What do I mean? Well, you can sense Paul's urgency in these verses, just as you can all the way through the New Testament, that actually this world in its present form isn't going to go on like this forever. Chapter 6 and verse 1, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, not to hear the news about Jesus and kind of believe it but walk away from it. Why does he urge them not to receive it in vain? Well, because there's a day coming And coming soon is the day of judgment, not the day of salvation. That era, that epoch in world history is going to come to an end, the day of salvation. We're in it now, so go to it. We're in it. But soon Jesus is going to come back and that window will close, that window of opportunity. The day of salvation will give way to a day of judgment. When God's offer will be withdrawn, his work will be complete forever. And so I don't know where you might stand today, whether you're here someone who is here, someone today as someone who who is trusting in Jesus and his death to to put you right with God, to give you that hope of eternity with him, or whether you're saying, I've not done that yet. Can I urge you to speak to someone that you've come with or to speak to one of the leaders here at the front about what it would mean for you to accept that offer of eternal life in Jesus. And the day of salvation won't be here forever. It might end tomorrow with the day of judgment or five years or 10 years. We don't know. So Paul says, chapter six, verse one, he urges us not to receive this message that we're hearing in vain, because this offer won't last forever. Today is a great day to be alive. It's a great day to join with God in his mission. It's a great day to be a co-worker, because today is the day of salvation. Let me finish with some words from Spurgeon, who, of course, ministered here in London for half a century back at the end of the 19th century he preached on this text in 1878 probably not many of us were there 1878 in London and this is what Spurgeon had to say he said brethren if I had my pick of days I should like to go forth and preach the gospel when it was a day of salvation and would not you one likes to go down the river with the tide. And if you can have a fair wind as well, it's grand sailing. But surely now, whenever you seek for souls, you have wind and tide with you. For it's the day of salvation. God is saving men. It is his daily business and his crowning glory. And he has set his heart on it. When the infinite Jehovah proclaims a day of salvation, the people shall be saved and there shall be no question about it. Thousands upon thousands of erring ones shall repent and believe and so shall be saved to the glory of grace. And then Spurgeon went on to say, do not tell me that London is very wicked. I know it is, but the Lord has much people in this city and he will redeem them from all iniquity. And he concludes his everlasting purposes shall not be And his infinite pity shall not be stayed. Glory be to his blessed name. He will accomplish all his purposes for this is a day of salvation. And his people shall be called to him by some means. And they shall know that the Lord saveth not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. How is your gospel confidence? Will you join with Giles and say, I know it's inevitable. That people will respond. I don't know who, I don't know when, I don't know whether it will be through me, but I'm gonna pray that God would work in this city through Reality Church and my life because today is a day of salvation. So let's start that prayer now, shall we? Let's take a moment to be quiet. Father in heaven, thank you that we have the privilege of ascensioning this side of the life and death and resurrection, ascension of Jesus. We live in the day of salvation and that means today is a great day to be alive. And thank you for your mercy on this city of London. Thank you for those statistics of what you have chosen to do in the last 30 or 40 years. Thank you for the growth of the church. Thank you that we get to be part of that story of what you're doing. And we just ask, Lord, would you do more and more? And might you be pleased to take and use us as your co-workers to this end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.